Good afternoon, podcast listeners. This is Rob Plouffe. Welcome back to Mid-Michigan Bowling News, the podcast for bowlers in the greater Flint area and the state of Michigan. All right, this is podcast number 13. It is Thursday, May 7th, 2020. We are still stuck in a stay-at-home state of emergency here in the state of Michigan for the coronavirus until at least May 28th now. Our governor just extended it today. Um, Today's podcast is going to bounce around a little bit. I'm going to cover a few things today. Um, Again, how we got to where we did with the Kersley Bowling Program, some of the things that I did, and um, some of the most important things for our practices is what I'm going to cover today. Um, But first, I would like to start with um, talking about uh, some more books, mental game books. I mentioned before that I would mention some more things that, uh, that I did and read that may be useful to you for bowling. So here are a list of a few books. Uh, the first one I most recently read is uh, in, entitled How to Be a Badass by Jen Sincero. Um, it was a book that I bought on uh, Kindle and a very good book for the mental game. Um, there's another one called 100 100 Mental Game Best Practices by Dre Baldwin. Um, he's also the guy that does the uh, Lucid app. Very good, uh, very good book, very good app. Um, lots of good uh, insight into the mental game. Very good book here that I read is called uh, Golf's Sacred Journey by David Cook. Um, it is not about bowling, but it relates to bowling and most people who know bowling and golf, their mental games uh, definitely overlap, and it's worthwhile to read um, some books that have to do with other sports because they do inter- intertwine with one another. So there are other um, sports that you could uh, apply to bowling. And I've always said that, um, man, would I love to pick Tiger Woods' brain. That guy had to have the best mental game of any athlete that has ever played in any sport. Um, Because when that guy was on top of his game, he had to be the most mentally strong athlete ever. Um, And what he went through totally destroyed him, and he's came back and and won again so uh tells me he's got a pretty strong mental game but uh sorry got off on a tangent there talking about other sports um they they being a bowlers um turbo turbo grips runs a camp every summer and uh, i actually attended that camp with my oldest daughter the very first one when it was held down in canton michigan um, from Turbo Grips, it's the uh, Collegiate Expo, and they bring in a uh, sports psychologist every year, Dr. Dean Hintz, and uh, he has several books out there that I highly recommend as well, and anything that he has to say, any seminars that he's involved in, I would sit down and listen to that guy, because he's he's got it. He 
he understands it. He knows what he's teaching for the sport of bowling. And one of the most important books that I think I've ever bought as a coach for high school bowling and as a bowler was I, um, I bought a subscription to Bowling This Month. It's a uh, monthly magazine that comes out. They have several articles that are very, very useful for coaches. There are ideas to use for practices. They um, usually do a bowling ball um, review, especially for new equipment when it comes out. And they give you an idea what new bowling equipment will do. Um, I have read that magazine religiously for probably the last 10 years. It is well worth the uh, subscription fee. It comes to me in an email. Um, two or three times a month I get emails of new articles from uh, bowling this month. So um, if you're serious about your bowling and or your coaching, check out bowling this month. Okay, now let me uh, cover a couple of things of what we did in our practices uh, with the Kersley Varsity Girls Bowling Team. Um, I know when I started coaching, one of the things I wanted to do was have structured practices. I didn't want there to be any screwing around. Um, I mentioned this before in my podcast that you can watch some other high school teams, coaches, and or teams during practices, and you'll see them throw the ball between their legs, turn around backwards. The coach is back uh, talking with parents or whoever, not paying attention to the kids, and I did not want to do that. I wanted to make sure that um, each of my kids had a goal, and I was going to do whatever I could to help them reach their goal. And the first thing that that would include would be to practice hard and make sure that um, you're doing things to improve your game. So I'm going to take you back to, uh, it was the summer of 2008. My oldest daughter at the time, Lindsay, was um, entering high school and uh, she was pretty serious about her softball and her bowling. And at the time, probably a little more serious about the softball. She really, really enjoyed softball, but um, I knew that she had aspirations and goals uh, for the bowling, and we wanted to see her succeed the most we could. So I started researching, and I found the Dick Ricker Bowling Camp. And I knew about the Dick Ricker Bowling Camp because my nephew Jeremy Jervlin attended that camp. Um, Char Smith, who is still coaching in the Greater Flint area and part of the Greater Flint Bowling Association, um, has attended the uh, Dick Ricker Bowling Camp. She sent her kids to it back in the uh, probably late 80s, early 90s when her kids went to the Dick Ricker Bowling Camp. And I know Jeremy attended the Ricker Bowling Camp in the mid to late 90s. Um, but anyways, I, I uh, found that they had a class summer of 2008 over in uh, East Lansing at Royal Scott Bowl. Signed my daughter up for it. And my wife and I both attended the uh, camp with Lindsay. And I'm not going to lie to you, it's not a cheap camp. It was a four-day camp 
roughly $500, well worth every penny I ever spent on that camp. I could not believe the difference in Lindsay's game after going to that camp and what she learned and what we learned from that camp was phenomenal. And I, uh, and I'm not going to lie, I took the drills from that camp and incorporated them into my high school bowling team immediately back in 2008. And we still, to this day, were doing those drills at almost every single practice I ever held. You started off with the uh, stand at the line drill where your slide foot is at the foul line. You're in the finish position and you swing the ball three times and you re basically relax your swing and roll the ball. The idea is to um, get the right finish position and the right release from that drill. It is one of the most important drills. Uh, that with the one-step drill are probably the two most, most important drills we've ever done with Kersley Bolin. It was um, by far a game changer to see kids' games change when you start uh, going through that drill. And at the Ricker camp, they made uh, bowlers do that drill for hours. I, I mean like two, three, four hours doing those drills, ingraining that uh, muscle memory. It was incredible to watch. Um and it, and it works great. So um, I mentioned the one-step drill. The one-step drill is you take one step back from the foul line. You get into your setup position, which would be your, uh, for instance, like your third step in a four-step four approach. Start with the ball down by your side, your arm up, your balance arm would be up, and you hold your balance arm you swing the ball three times and on the third swing you take a step forward and you finish in that same position that you would for the stand at the line drill and uh, you get the the feeling of the proper finish the proper release and follow through it's uh, as far as I'm concerned a couple of the most important drills that you could ever teach a bowler the Ricker camp was was incredible it is something that if you're dead serious about bowling and or coaching they also have certified ricker coaches that you can go to those camps um not gonna lie to you it's cheap it's not cheap it's based in new york they very rarely come to michigan the reason that they rarely come to michigan is because people don't sign up for it um but it is one of the best bowling camps in the country um kelly kulik professional women's bowler went through that camp and um, a lot of other coaches will mimic a lot of those drills including Shannon O'Keefe from McKendry University and another professional bowler she actually does some uh, tip Tuesday drills on Facebook if you follow her and a lot of the tip Tuesday drills are a lot of the drills that we used to do at uh, Kersley with the varsity girls bowling team. So it tells me that the those drills are the right thing to do, the right way to teach someone to finish the proper way. And um, 
Uh, I'll be honest about this. I had the pleasure of uh, meeting Mo Pinnell this past winter, thanks to Jim Tuber. Brought him into uh, Richfield Bowl, and I got to sit down and pick his brain for a little bit. But um, if you've ever talked to Mo, been around Mo, he's he can be a little uh, rough around the edges. But he um, had a little seminar for my high school team, and he was talking about sticking the finish. And uh, he says that a lot, that if you're going to be serious about your bowling, you got to stick the finish. And what he means is finishing at the foul line in the proper position, which is what the stand-at-the-line drill and the one-step drill will get you. And it is something that I I prided myself on at, at Kersley, is teaching the girls to stick the finish, exactly like Mo said. So, um, long story short, I... I tried to ask Mo a question about the finish um, because his wording, the way he was saying it, was a little different than the way that I had learned it from Dick Rickers. So Mo asked me, well, where did you learn this? And I said, Dick Rickers. And he said, ah, Dick Rickers doesn't know anything. That's old school. That's not the way the game is nowadays. Well, I understand what he's saying, but I will tell you this. The Ricker drills will make you stick the finish. So, however way, whatever way that you have to to get to that position, um, do it. But ultimately, what you got to do is stick the finish. So, I always used to ask my girls, "Show me a pro bowler who doesn't hold their form at the line after they release the ball." There isn't one. They all do. They're all very solid at the line. It's the proper way to do it. Now, um, some of the younger kids that are coming up, uh, two-handers come to mind because they they basically have to run to the line to create that ball speed because they hook the ball so much. If you run to the line and you can't stick the finish, you're not going to be consistent. You're not going to be as good as you could be. You might be good, but you could be a whole lot better if you can stick the finish. So... Um, where I'm going with this is the Dick Ricker Bowling Camp. It's a great tool if you're a coach, you're coaching a high school team. You need to um, start doing those drills that the Dick Ricker Bowling Camp promotes. There are literally seven or eight uh, drills that they go through in their camp. And um, they are drills that I made my girls go through religiously at least once a week during high school practices. We would go through those drills. More recently, my teams did them every single practice. They are very, very good to do. And my point is, have some structure to your practices. Go in, tell them we're doing Ricker drills for the first half an hour. You're gonna stand at the line, swing the ball, you're gonna do some one steps, you'll do some timing drills, you have to have some structure in your practices or things will not go well. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've witnessed it. So have some structure. Um, here's a couple other things. I said I'm going to bounce around a little bit in this podcast. Here's a couple other things. If you're running a high school bowling program, something that I want to cover here, which I went through in one of my previous podcasts, was c- communication. Communication is 
by far one of the most important things as a high school bowling coach. Because, let's be honest, when you're the high school coach, you're not just a coach. You're going to be a part-time parent. You're going to be an athletic director. You're going to be um, a publicist, a scheduler, you name it. You're putting on all kinds of hats as a high school coach. But you got to learn to communicate with people. And one of the most important people that you need to communicate with if you're going to be a high school coach is the athletic director. Someone at the school that you can be confident in and have an open line of communication and let them know what you're doing, why you're doing it from the very beginning. I sat down with my athletic director, Mr. Paul Goddard at Kersley, as soon as I was hired. I asked for a meeting to sit down with him and, and go over, look, this is my plan. This is what I'm planning on doing. This is how I'm going to do it. And I wanted him to know where I stood. And I also wanted him to feel comfortable with, he could come to me at any time with any issues and let me know what was going on. So the first thing I told him was, hey, look, I'm giving up my weekends of work. This is going to cost me a lot of money to coach this team, which means I'm not doing this out of the kindness of my heart. I'm going to do this and we're going to do this right. I'm not, I'm not just going to screw around. We're doing this with the sole purpose of making this bowling program successful so people will know who Kersley is. And he understood that from the very beginning. And uh, my most recent athletic director, Eric Doyle, uh, same thing. He was very, very good, good at communicating. He uh, recently said that he didn't really need to do anything with me other than get out of the way and, uh, and support me, which um, he did. He, uh, he is also a very good athletic director, but if you don't have communication with your athletic director and you don't, under, you don't understand what his job is and he doesn't understand what your job is, things are not going to work real well for you. Um, I'm going to throw out a, an example here, something that uh, I didn't know until this happened, and part of it was lack of communication. So as a bowling coach, a high school bowling coach, um, anybody who's a high school bowling coach will know this, that usually like once a week, you're going to get a grade report from the school, from your athletic director, grades of your kids on your team. And uh, our school had a rule that um, if you're failing a class, I thought it was failing a class, you were not allowed to bowl uh, until all of your classes had passing grades. So um, it was my very first year coaching. We were probably a month into the season, and I had a girl on my team who was failing a class when I got the grade report. So on our uh, Thursday practice coming up that week, I uh, informed her that she would not be bowling that weekend. And uh, she, she asked me, well, why not? How come I'm not bowling? And I said, well, you're failing a class. I would prefer that you stay home, you do your homework, you study, and you get your grades up. So she went home, told her parents, hey, coach is sitting me out this weekend because I'm failing a class. Her parents called the school. Next thing I know, the athletic director's calling me up saying, what the hell are you doing? And I said, excuse me? And he said, I, I totally understand 
where you're coming from. I appreciate your efforts, but you you can't tell a kid that you're going to sit them because they're failing a class. I said, why not? I'm the coach. That's, uh, that's one of my rules, too, that uh, you're a student first before you're an athlete. And he said, well, if you tell the student that they are failing or that you're not bowling them because they're failing a class, and that is not our our written policy with the school system, their parents can sue the school system and they will win. And uh, I immediately understood that, well, we're, we're playing by the rules here. This could involve lawyers someday. So you better follow the rules. So the written rule for our school system was you have to be failing two classes before you're ineligible to bowl. And it's not the coach's call to um, sit a player because of grades. It's the athletic director's call. So when he sends out the grade reports, he tells everyone now, hey, look, you've got a, a bowler that's failing two classes and they're ineligible to bowl for at least a week. Um, that's the way it worked at our school. That could be different at other people's schools. But my point is, Know what the rules are, understand them, stay in communication with your athletic director, and you got to be on the same page with them. They have to understand where you're coming from. I always emailed. I would email bowling scores, results. I always posted everything on a web page for everyone to see. I was constantly updating the school's website, trying to prom promote my bowlers because I know College coaches would look at that, but on top of that, the athletic director was looking at it. It also provided him um, with news so that when they made announcements at the school, he could just go to the website and say, here's the results from the bowling team. So whatever you can do to make his job easier, do it, especially if you want his support. Um, that is very, very important to high school bowling. Make sure that you have good communication with your athletic director. And the next person that you should have very good communication with is the proprietor at the bowling alley. And you need to sit down with them, explain to them what your plans and goals are for your team, what you would like from them, and what you are going to do for them to help them out. Because let's be honest, as a bowling proprietor, if you're if you're the guy that owns the bowling alley and you're sponsoring a high school bowling team, what are you getting out of it? Do something to help them out because uh, it's not cheap to bowl. You guys know that. If you go out and open bowl, it's not cheap. So um, I understood that relationship with uh, Jim and Sarah at Richfield and at Bees. Um, I always offered up to uh, run run a tournament or two or three to help them out and um, you you don't understand how much that that helps out a bowling center when you can do something like that so anything you can do to help out your bowling proprietor you should also do but make sure that you're communicating with them as well because you can't just show up at the bowling alley and say hey I got I got 15 kids here for practice and they have uh, birthday parties and open bowling, you got to make sure that you schedule that with the bowling center and they know what's going on. So make sure that you're communicating with your
proprietor and your athletic director. Those are very, very important for a high school coach. Um, a couple more things here before I finish up. Uh, I want to tell a quick story here on how we would end our bowling practices. This was something that I actually came up with. Um, it came from Don Hargrave's workouts, but when I began working out with uh, Jim Menzing many years ago, we would practice for a couple of hours, and at the end, he would say, make sure you throw a strike before you leave. And I would be like, well, why? What does it matter if I throw a strike now? I've, you know, I've thrown 50 of them already. And he'd say, well, you don't want to leave the bowling alley with any bad thoughts. And it that one always stuck with me, and it's something that I always make my high school teams do. Don't leave the bowling alley unless you throw a strike, or two, or three. So I always made my team finish a practice with a strike or a mark or something positive. So uh, this turned into challenges at the end of our practice as our teams began getting better and better. Um, it, it became easy for them to throw a strike, so it had to be a challenge, like throw two strikes in a row or three strikes on three different lanes. Um, there's plenty of different things you can do. We usually had four lanes for the varsity team for practicing. This last year, I would make my team uh, throw, say, um, four marks uh, across four different lanes and then uh, finish with a double, uh, something like that. I mean, it's, uh, you're talking six, six different uh, marks in a row. And if you miss, then you had to start over. Um, it gets frustrating for the kids sometimes, but it's a great way to learn. Um, this is how it really started my first year. Um, I had a couple girls on my team who were, who were uh, very, very good. Uh, Kristen Coleopolis and, and Megan Lynch. They both were very good bowlers. And I told them uh, very early in my first year, hey, look, this is what we're going to do from here on out. We're going to finish our practice with a strike. And uh, they all looked at me like, what if it takes me an hour to throw a strike? And I'd say, well, then it takes you an hour to throw a strike. We're going to wait here until everyone on this team throws a strike before we go home. Well, that year I think I had uh, eight or nine girls on my, on my team. Who do you think was the one that uh, had the hardest time finishing it? My best bowlers. Uh, Kristen Coleopolis was the one who ended up at the end of practice, I'll never forget it, it was literally a half an hour of her trying to throw a strike. Now this girl was averaging 175 to 180-ish and uh, threw the mo most strikes of anyone on the team. But I could see what was going on with her. She was trying to throw a strike so hard that she couldn't throw a strike. She had a really, really hard time. And it got so frustrating to her that she just broke down. And uh, she was in tears. I stopped her. I sat her down, calmed her down, and I said, Listen, this uh, task that I've asked you to do, throw a strike at the end of practice, isn't intended to embarrass you in front of everyone. Um, the idea of it is that you learn how to throw a strike when you need to throw a strike. And there's nothing different about 
throwing one at the end of practice than there is at the beginning of practice. And she, you could see the light bulb go off in her head like, okay. And I said, well, you can't physically go down the lane and knock all the pins down. Can you? She said, no. I said, what can you do? What's the one thing you can do in bowling? And she said, uh, I'm not sure. And I said, well, you can hit your mark. And if you hit your mark and you do everything correctly, the ball should go to the pocket. It may not strike, but you have a better chance of throwing a strike if you're hitting the pocket. She took a deep breath. I asked her what she was looking at. She told me. She stood in the right spot. She went up. She hit it. Boom. She threw a strike on the very next shot. And uh, not only her, but everyone else that was standing around said, how'd you do that? I said, I didn't do that. It, it's it's a lesson to everyone that you can't physically go down there and knock the pins down. You can't throw a strike. The only thing you can do is relax, go up and hit your mark, and then take what happens and move on. Don't get frustrated. That um, turned into a good thing for us because um, those girls all learned from that experience. And it's something that we continue to do for my 15 years of coaching. That every single practice, every single girl on the team has to throw at least one strike before you can finish. And no one leaves until everyone's done. Even if it takes an hour which it shouldn't. In fact, uh, I had one practice more recently where I had, I told every girl on the team, all seven girls had to throw a four bagger before we could go home. And they all did it in about less than 10 minutes. It was incredible. Girls just don't do that, but um, they had all learned how to do it. So um, challenge your players. If you're a coach, challenge them. Make them do things that they don't think that they can do. Throw six marks in a row. Throw a double. Throwing four strikes in a row, if you think about it, in a high school match, if you're in a Baker lineup, how many frames do you bowl? Four. Between two games. Two Baker games is four frames. If you can throw four strikes in a row on a Baker, in a Baker game, your team's going to be doing pretty darn good. And uh, that's part of the reason why I would do stuff like that. So um, just giving you a few hints of some things that I did. Uh, that is one of the big ones that uh, I think if you ask the girls that bowled for me, they'll tell you those are, yes, they were challenging, sometimes frustrating. Sometimes they would get uh, upset with me because I would come up with some crazy things for them to finish practice. But ultimately, they were going to finish on a good note. They're going to walk out of that bowling alley feeling good about themselves that they accomplished something. And that is still stuck in their head. Because if you're finishing practice on a Thursday, your next competition is on a on a Saturday, and they don't bowl until then, they left the bowling alley with good thoughts in their head, which is something that Jim Menzing and Don Hargraves taught me. So um, I'm going to wrap up this podcast now. I've been talking for over half an hour, 31 minutes now. Um, and I told you before, one of the things I was going to do is I was going to start finishing my podcast with inspirational quotes. So um, it was back in around 2007, 2008. I had a girl on my team that came to me and said, 
Hey, Rob, why don't you give us uh, an inspirational quote before competition? And I thought, well, that's a great idea. Um, I'll start doing that. So I had to do a little research and uh, come up with some quotes. And um, there's actually a book that I bought, uh, Inspirational Quotes book. Um, it's called uh, 100 Quotations to Make You Think by Wolfgang Riebe. And uh, there are some quotes out of that book that I have used throughout the years. So I'm going to finish this podcast with this one. My inspirational quote for today is my favorite saying, A positive attitude may not solve all of your problems, but it will annoy enough people to make it worth the effort. So maintain a positive attitude. No matter what happens, even if we're stuck at home for the next 23 days, again. So um, I'm going to wrap up this podcast now. I'm over 33 minutes. Hope you enjoyed. Uh, Look forward to doing more of these. I'm going to discuss next podcast uh, lineups and how to pick a lineup for a high school team, the dynamics of it, and how uh, you should be thinking as a coach. Uh, That will be my next podcast. So uh, that's it for today. Have a great day. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.